The intake officer wrote her full name on the form. You got a first name, Cooper? she asked him. Calvin. Cal for short, or so I imagine. We'll see what sticks. The officer signed the paper, held a hand stamp over it, then paused. You sure you don't want to go with Marilyn? Audrey? Something more glamorous? They're all available. I like Francis. Francis was Judy Garland's real name. Francis Gum. I like that. The officer nodded, stamped her paper, then slipped it into a folder. Welcome to Oz, Francis, he said. On her front steps, eight years later, under a sky saturated with stars, Fran Adams wedges the unlit cigarette between her lips. She enjoys this drawn-out moment, the delicious anticipation that, in many ways, is better for her than the smoking itself. She leans forward, producing her lighter from a pocket, resting her bare forearms on her knees. She's still wearing the same jeans she wore during the day and the same old plaid shirt worn loose over her sleeveless undershirt. She looks down at her slapped-together outfit, which, taken together, screams hot weather and house cleaning, which pretty much describes the day she's had, pretty much describes the last eight years. If it weren't for Isaac, she'd have run already, or so she likes to tell herself. No visitors, no contact, no return. With her sleeves rolled up against the stubborn night that stayed just as warm as the day, she glances, unthinking, at the series of numbers tattooed like a delicate bracelet across the back of her left wrist. One, two, five, zero, zero, two, four, one, two, one, four, nine, one, one. No idea what it means. No idea how it got there. She can recall some ragged snippets of her previous life, childhood mostly, but she doesn't remember that. All she knows is that the tattoo predates her time in the blinds since she rode into this place with the numbers already etched on her wrist. No one else here has the numbers. She knows. She's checked. And she long ago gave up trying to decipher whatever coded message the tattoo's trying to send her. As far as she's concerned, it's just a souvenir of some past adventure she forgot she took, some past mistake she forgot she made. It belongs to someone else, some previous woman, not Fran Adams, who's only eight years old, after all. Fran Adams, born eight years ago, just like her son. She finally lights her cigarette and listens happily to the pleasing hiss of the first long drag. The paper flares in a vibrant circle, then withers. This is all she wants right now, right here. The crinkle of cellophane, the sour taste of the cotton filter, the sniff of butane, that first crackle of paper, then the fragrant heat blossom in the fragile bellows of her lungs. In the stifling night, she loves this lonely ritual. She loves it so much, apparently, that she'll kill herself a little bit every day just for another chance to experience it, if she smoked, which she doesn't, starting tomorrow. She takes another long drag. Then she stubs the cigarette out and brushes the ashes away, worrying Isaac might see the faint gilt rings of burn marks lingering on the painted steps in the morning. She flicks the spent butt in the bushes, far enough away that she can always blame it on a passing neighbor if Isaac finds it.
He's still young enough that she can continue to pretend he doesn't know all the things he's clearly starting to understand. If she could get him out of here, she would. It's time. It's long past time. If she had somewhere else to take him. If she had any idea what was waiting for both of them out there. Or who. But she doesn't. So they stay. She thinks about all the people who've arrived since she first came. She was in the first batch, the original eight. But there's been two or three new people who've come every few months ever since. She heard that four people arrived just today, the bus rumbling in after dark. Two women and two men. Of course, she can't help but speculate on what they did and how they wound up here. That's the kind of gossip people here tend to traffic in especially her next-door neighbor, Doris Agnew, who always seemed to know what's going on.